Hello, this is Heather Torvell for Nursing 498, Week 2's assignment, Professor Greg Fries, MSNRN. Attached, you'll find the references for this podcast for the citations used. Information Management, Defining a Scope. Nursing, what an amazing, dynamic, ever-changing profession. Because of evidence-based practice, research, and quality improvement developments, there are many issues at hand that are improving the healthcare system through a distinct transformation because of an interdisciplinary team. When focusing on the issue of infection control and safety with peripheral intravenous line durations, there's a concern as to whether or not current practices are decreasing the risk for infection or adding to the problem. Does having a duration length of time on a peripheral IV reduce the risk for infection, or are there more benefits to keeping them in by using the discretion of the nurse? Furthermore, how do we research this question? Is it an evidence-based practice or a quality improvement approach? How widespread is this problem, and is there more of a risk by not addressing it? After looking at leader and peer reviews, quality reports, and patient surveys, can one come to a conclusion on this matter? First off, what's the actual problem? There's been a discrepancy in practice as to whether or not peripheral IV should be left in for a certain period of time to reduce the risk of infection. Will leaving them in longer by using nursing assessments and their discretion decrease that risk of infection because of fewer pokes? What about using unnecessary supplies just because the 72 hours is up, even though the IV is working perfectly, and not causing harm? Time will be less spent restarting IVs unless clinically necessary as well. Now that the scope of the problem has been defined, the question at hand is, is this an evidence-based practice or a quality improvement concern? Quote, using an evidence-based approach to synthesize the available information and develop an approach that allowed adoption of the latest standards while taking proactive steps to mitigate risk proved to be a successful strategy. End quote. And that was from DeVries, Valentine, and Marcos, 2016. This matter is observed with both qualitative and quantitative approaches. However, by using quantitative data, one is able to obtain a, quote, conclusion because of conclusive evidence, the objective and focused information, statistical analysis, structured data with large sample sizes that needs a final course of action, end quote, paraphrased by Key Differences 2016. So who is affected by this matter and how? Patients, nursing staff, physicians, administration, and interdisciplinary excuse me, interdisciplinary team stakeholders have a direct impact from this topic because factors such as infection control, financial obligations, ethical considerations, patient safety, staff quality and efficiency, and much more. So how does change start to take place? Root cause analysis are used to find the source of the problem and design a project that, quote, prevents future harm by eliminating the latent errors that so often underlie adverse events, end quote, said by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services 2019. They should, quote, generally follow a pre-specified protocol that begins with data collection and reconstruction of the event in question through record review and participant interviews. A multidisciplinary team should then analyze the sequence of events leading to the error with the goals of identifying how and why that event occurred, end quote, also said by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services 2019. 
numerous studies were performed involving leaders and interviews of peers. There were studies that were involving assessments of peripheral IVs that involved patients and the nursing staff while assessing the knowledge of staff with current policies and procedures. One study talked about how, quote, peripheral IV insertions were observed, staff huddles took place in case of the occurrence of infections, and patients with peripheral IVs were rounded on by members of the infection control team, a nurse educator, and unit champions, end quote, DeVries, Valentine, and Mancos, 2016. There is objective data that was collected by both staff and patients. Agencies also set the bar for evidence-based research to take place. DeVries, Valentine, and Mancos also says that Quote, the 2011 versions of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Guidelines for the Prevention of Intravascular Device-Associated Infections and the Infusion Nurses Society Standards of Practice serve as main sources. End quote, 2016. Store and Hall also stated that, quote, guidelines have the potential to impact and influence practice. End quote, 2014. INS, or Infusion Nurses Society, is a popular source that facilitates use to guide their practice. So how does change happen? Quote, practice change is not automatic once evidence is provided to clinicians. Disruption of convention and cultural change are also required. Therefore, the information provided by key stakeholders and focus group participants is crucial in determining how organizational context, culture, and resources at each site shape the local implementation of the intervention and development of associated and educational resources. End quote by Ray Boreal et al. 2018. So what is the next step? Well, first of all, this is a very widespread issue that can affect so many people, so it is essential that an interdisciplinary team such as, quote, nurse educators, nurse leaders, clinicians, and managers working with infection prevention and colleagues are included, end quote, Storage and Hollum, 2014. Or, such as Laudermilk, Stefan, and McGarvey also state in their study that their projected team consisted of, quote, a PI specialist project manager with subject matter experts from the hospitalist physician group, quality safety, nursing, pharmacy, infection control, and nursing education, end quote, 2018. They then, in turn, collaborate to investigate and provide evidence, seeking the best option and outcome. Now that interdisciplinary teams are created based on their relationship with the problem and ability to assist in those solutions, the project is started. Does leaving the peripheral IV dwell time up to the nurse's discretion decrease that risk for infection as opposed to having a maximum duration dwell time of only 72 to 96 hours? Well, here's the, gather, the data excuse me, gathered from evidence-based practice that has been researched. Quote, the Infusion Nurses Society indicated nurses should decide when to replace a peripheral IV catheter based on the following clinical assessment, the patient's overall condition, access site, skin and wound integrity, length and type of prescribed therapy, venue of care, integrity and patency of the venous access device, dressing and stabilization device, end quote, by Helton Hines and Best, 2016. So many times we have needed to use our nursing judgment, and this is definitely an area that should be considered. One study by DeVries, Valentine, and Mancos stated that, quote, our bundle centered on reducing the unnecessary needle sticks associated with the 72 to 96 hour restart policy. 
Others have described cost savings in materials as well as staff time after implementing such a policy, and we also saw an opportunity for improvement in patient satisfaction by reducing that number of intravenous line restarts, basically solely on elapsed time, end quote, 2016. Wow, what a positively impactful finding. Ray Burrell mentioned in his study that, quote, overall catheter dwell time is a risk factor for peripheral IV catheter infection. However, routine changing of the IV catheters does not reduce that risk of infection. Instead, daily consideration of the patient's continued need for IV access should be a priority, and catheters not in use should be promptly removed. Adherence to these principles can reduce risks of IV access and improve patient outcomes, end quote, 2017. But as you can hear, with every evidence-based research project, there is always a contrasting idea. Should there be a limit still on the dwell time? Does it increase the risk of infection the longer that it stays in? While Storr and Hallam stated that, quote, when treatment is complete and the device is no longer medically necessary, it is removed, thus reducing that patient's risk of infection as soon as possible, end quote, 2014. Ray Burrell et al. also stated that, quote, too many IVs that are left in place when no longer needed and too many others fail before treatment completion requiring the insertion of a new device. And a structured and comprehensive approach to IV assessment and decision-making may promote early detection of complications and prompt removal of that IV catheter when it's no longer needed, end quote, 2018. This may be true for the patients, but what if it was removed too early and there was all of a sudden an emergent need to have that access? If the IV that was removed early because it was part of that 72 to 96 hour mark, even though it was a perfectly good working IV, there are now added increased costs, resources, and time that have, could have been avoided. Facilities are switching gears to use that critical thinking and clinical reasoning, and because of quantitative studies, statements such as this has been discovered. Quote, our success was measured not only with increased dwell time, but also by a trend of decreased bloodstream infections. End quote. That is said by DeVries, Valentin, and Marcos, 2016. That is strong evidence. Decreasing the amount of bloodstream infections is the primary goal. Of course, with the secondary goals such as patient satisfaction, reduced costs to the organization, and well as the patient, not to mention the patient's state of mind. It will be less stressful on their mental health to know they are not getting poked every three to four days during their hospital stay. It will then decrease that risk of infection because there are less punctures to the skin as well. So in conclusion, the bottom line is, what is the level of risk and the frequency of the problem? By using a root cause analysis to figure out that problem and assess whether it is an evidence-based issue or a quality improvement issue will then help determine how to create change if necessary. Is the problem of interest seeking qualitative or quantitative data? And how do we use that in order to formulate answers so that the end goal is met? By using a team approach through an interdisciplinary team that can collaborate and effectively as well as efficiently create a project used by that data with the help of quality and safety regulatory agencies, positive change can be tested, tried, and implemented. By using quality reports, patient surveys, leader and peer reviews, just to name a few, key stakeholders can create pathways to improve positive patient outcomes and increase staff compliance and address safety concerns.
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and have a great day.